Well, for those of you who are new, we just concluded our series on um, In the Meantime. And this was Andy, Andy Stanley's series, In the Meantime, where sometimes life just happens, where things just go wrong and you're stuck and you know that God says he causes all things to work together for good, but you just can't see it right now. You know, you can't see the light of, at the end of the tunnel. So how do you live your life? You know, how do we live our lives in the meantime? And today we're going to talk about, we'll just uh, spend uh, a few series talking about something that I think um, a lot of us suffer from. Because when we talked about in the meantime, there are certain things that happen in our lives that we have no control over. You know, we think we have control over a lot of things in our life, but when you really sit down and think about it, we have very little control. And so a lot of bad things happen that we don't have control of over. But then there are certain things that we do have control over. And we struggle because, well, we we put ourselves in this situation. And we're going to spend a few uh, sermons talking about being in a hurry and uh, um, the, just the uh, uh, destruction that causes in our lives. And when I go through this series, you know, this is my Achilles heel. So a lot of this, it's just do as I say, not as I do. You know, I mean, just this past, what was it? Yeah, no, Friday. You know, my wife and I, we were supposed to go to some place, right? And, you know, she said, oh, we got to get to go now. It's like a, we got a half an hour. And I said, honey, we're only going to get there 10, it's only going to take us between five and 10 minutes to get there. Why do we have to go there now? And so we went there. And it was at, you know, that Atlanta, Alhambra marketplace where that Tokyo table is? It's in Alhambra at six o'clock on a Friday evening. So I get into the parking lot, line of cars. My blood pressure started going like this. And as we weren't moving, I was just saying, why aren't we moving? You know, I saw these parking spots. And then I see people with the groceries putting that in cars where they just pulled up and they stopped. And they opened the door for somebody who was loading their groceries. I said, you both up park, and then you load your groceries. And then so I was, when I saw that, I was, and then, uh, and then what made it worse is trying to find a parking spot because everyone was being backed up because people couldn't get in these parking spaces because they were the size that only a Hot Wheel could fit in. And then you have these, and so I was just, I was just fuming. I was just beating the wheel. Why? Because I was in a hurry. And I was in a hurry. And Grace was just laughing. And I, this is what I love about Grace is that she doesn't throw that, but you're a pastor card at me. <laughs> you know, because she knows me too well. But, you know, I think a lot of our stress, you know, and a lot of the things that rob joy from us have to do with the fact that we're hurry. We're in a hurry all the time. You know, we talked about, you know, our schedule and priorities, you know, in, in the series before that, and p- placing God in the center of this. But, you know, one of the things, there's nothing wrong with being busy. Jesus was busy. You know, Jesus wasn't just, you know, just taking it off, sleeping in his hammock all the time. No, he was busy. But the difference between what Jesus being busy is that he was never in a hurry, right? Whenever you read scripture, 
Jesus was never rushed. And I think we live in a society today that you know, places us in situations where we don't have to, but we lived rushed. Even though we don't have to be rushed. I mean, how many of you times do you go to the shopping, um, let's say a, a grocery store, and you're in line, and all of a sudden you get out because you say, okay, this person's taking too long, right? And okay, this person, and you calculate, okay, this person has more groceries in their basket, but the checker's faster. So I'm going to take a chance that, okay, this is, I'm going to get out of here faster, right? And we do that. You know, we look at when we pull up to a stop sign. Okay, how many cars are in this lane? How many cars? Oh, the empty lane. I'm going in that lane, right? Even when, well, I've discovered that I'm in a rush, even though I'm not in a rush, right? I live this hurried life when there's no reason to be. Because there's a lot of times I'm not in a rush, but I'm still looking for the shortest checkout line. I'm still looking for the most efficient way um, to uh, stop at a red light, you know, to get me going just a few seconds faster, right? But most of the time I'm not in a rush, but I live that way. And my guess is that a lot of you do too, right? There are certain times, yes, when we are in a rush, but that's something that we can't turn off. We can't turn off. And we find out it's ruining our relationships. It's ruining our, ruining our relationship with God because we can't be in a relationship and be rushed. Relationships can't be rushed. And so if you're you know, suffering from rush, I don't know, rushism, I just made that up, um, there's a good chance that the people around you are suffering because of that. When I'm in a rush on Friday night, grace suffered. Why? Because instead, instead of hearing you know, nice music and having a calm conversation, she was sitting next to a madman banging his fist on the steering wheel and banging my head. One time I even banged my head on the steering wheel when I saw those guys putting groceries in that car. Um, but it does affect us. But the good thing, the good thing is today God has a solution for that. If we choose, if we choose. And so there is hope for those of us who are Russiaholics, that there is hope. And we're going to look in Isaiah 55, verse 1. So if you have your Bibles, can you turn with, turn to me to, well, to Isaiah 55, verse 1. We're going to, and this is the New International Version. And so Isaiah says, Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you will have... And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. And so what Isaiah is saying is, you guys, don't just sit there thinking about this, hesitating, making excuses. Get up and come over here. And this is what God is saying. Get up, get up. And come to me. He goes, I have a rich spiritual life prepared to you. And buy. Don't worry about buying. Get what you want. Because someone else has paid the bill. Now if you take a look at the context of this passage, it's talking about salvation. However, you know, there's a lot of, uh, I think, lessons we could draw from this. Also, applications that we could draw from this in the terms of saving us from being Russiaholics, 
Okay? And so that's what we're going to glean from this. So he says, come, buy, and eat. Right? But if you take a look at that, who's doing all the work? God's doing all the work. God is doing all the work. He's saying, look, I know you're thirsty. Basically, a thirsty is just another way of saying, I know that you have desires. I know that you have longings. And he says, come to me, and I'll satisfy them. He says, get wine and milk, which is the abundant life. He says, you could have the abundant life through me. It's already paid for. You don't have to worry about it. But isn't this beautiful? This is the God we worship. The God who says, look, I know your desires. You know, I know the longings that you have, and I know some of you are going after other things that really don't satisfy, and we're going to be talking about that later. But come to me. Come to me, and I'll satisfy them. So many times we have this picture that God is just there to punish us when we do something wrong. But when you look in the Bible, we see this God who's a loving God who says, come to me, I'll satisfy your desires. And you know what? I'll pick up the tab. I'll pick up the tab. But you have to come. But you know what? When I was looking at this, sometimes I think um, I'm in a rush just because I reverse the person who's doing the work. Instead of God doing the work, I take it upon myself to do that. And it sounds very different when God says, come to him, but when I say, God, come to me. Look at the plans that I'm doing here. Look at the work that I'm doing to try to plan out my life, to try to plan out my kids' schedules, to plan out my life. You know, come see what I'm doing. And hopefully you could bless it because it's driving me crazy. It's hard. But just come and see what I'm doing rather than, you know, coming to God. Or when it says, um, come and buy, even though, if you don't, even though you don't have money, don't worry about it. God's saying, I'll pick up the tab. But when we reverse it, it's like, God, you know, look at all the hard work I've been doing. You know, I'm earning it. You know, whatever you have to offer, you know, I've worked hard to get that. And we realize, <clears throat> you know, there's nothing we could do to earn salvation, right? That's why he says, hey, it's already been paid for. It's already been paid for. But there's nothing we could do to earn that abundant life either. And yet we try so hard. And finally he says, come and eat. You know, there's a big difference between going to a restaurant and eating and then you having to cook that food yourself for people. I mean, I always, you know, I love cooking, but I always get nervous when I'm cooking for others because if I cook something and it's, eh, you know, and I eat it, it's okay, all right? Or Grace eat it, okay, it's okay. You know, but when I, you have guests over, the pressure's on, right? Because if it doesn't taste good, it's like, oh my goodness. And so we get so worked up. We get so worked up. You know, so we throw it away and then we start all over again to see if we could fix it. We're in this rush. Why? Because we're doing the cooking and not God. And I think a lot of us are in a rush because we reverse who's doing the work. But Jesus says, come to me. And I'll, I mean, Isaiah says, come to God and he'll satisfy you. 
And we see this in the uh, Samaritan woman. Where in John 4, you know, Jesus meets this one Samaritan woman. And it's hot. It's in the middle of the day. And he, he finds her trying to get going to the well to get some water. But she was the only one out there. You see, because she was an immoral woman. She was an outcast. She was shunned by the community. So the only time she could go out and get water was in the middle of the day when it was hottest and no one was there. Because that way no one would be there to ridicule her. No one would be there to judge her. And so she did this day after day, getting water in the hot sun. And then we see Jesus approaching her and telling her this. He goes, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water I give them will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And what Jesus is saying is, look, you could keep coming here day after day, and you will have to because this water doesn't satisfy. But the water I give you, you'll never be thirsty again. Of course, she didn't put two and two together. She thought it was magic water. But what Jesus was saying is, look, I know what is making you thirsty. You want to be loved. You want to be forgiven. You want to be shown mercy. You want to be accepted by the people in your community. He goes, I could give you all of that. I could give you all of that because I love you. And I want that for you. Once again, we see that in Jesus. But Isaiah goes on and says, Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? And so he's saying, and he's, you know, he's saying here that, okay, you guys are spending money on things that don't satisfy. Why are you doing this? You know, last week, Marco did an excellent job uh, bringing us the word in a sermon. And one of the uh, four things he said, or questions that he asked us is, you know, we push our kids, he said, we push our kids in sports so so they can make the varsity basketball team. Then what did he say? Then what, right? We want them to get into a good college. Then what? You want them to, uh, you want to obtain material things that don't, satisfy, that, that don't satisfy, but when you get it, then what? <laughs> you obtain life goals. Then what? And he shared about his brother who was uh, on the coaching staff of the Seattle Seahawks right after they won the Super Bowl, which is a pinnacle of every athlete and coach's goal is to win that Super Bowl. But after winning that Super Bowl, it was like, and then what? It was a big letdown because it didn't last. It was, they worked so hard, their careers and their lives, to get to this one point, and it doesn't last. You know, I have this uh, slide up here, the next one. And some of you can't see this, I know it's small, but this is Calvin and Hobbes, and some of the most profound things to me come out of this comic strip as well as Peanuts. But, you know, Calvin um, is that little kid, and Hobbes is his imaginary stuffed tiger. But here we see um, Calvin saying, getting is better than having. And he goes, when you get something, 
It's new and exciting. When you have something, you take it for granted, and it gets boring. And then Hobbes comes in and says, but everything you get turns into something you have. He goes, well, that's why you always need to get new things. And then you have Hobbes going, I feel like I'm in some stockholder's dream. Then to which Calvin replies, waste and want. That's my motto. Waste and want. That's my motto. You know, isn't that like us? I mean, you know, we want these things because they're new and exciting. And then when we have these things, we take them for granted. And we're not as excited about them anymore. And so we have to keep getting new things. And this is exactly what, you know, Isaiah is talking about here. Is why do you spend your time on those new things? Because eventually they will become things that you have. And then you'll take them for granted. And then you'll want new things again. But he, sa- he continues, he says, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what doesn't satisfy? He said, it doesn't make sense. But he goes, listen. Listen to me. Eat what is good and you will delight in the riches of, the riches of fare. And he's saying, listen, guys, listen to me. Because the only way to experience the abundant life, the only way to have your desires fully satisfied is if you listen to what I have to say. See, Isaiah understands how strong the temptation is to experience the abundant life without God. You know, and that's a part of our hurriedness, is right. We want to experience that abundant life without God. And so we chase after these experiences. We chase after these things. And for a while, yes, they do satisfy. But then after a while, they don't. And then we buy into it again. We say, okay, this product didn't work. This experience didn't work. This decision didn't work. But you know what? The next one might. And it's this vicious cycle. You know what he's saying? That a life of hurry and impatience is trying to be satisfied with hamburger helper versus a meal at a five-star restaurant. Is there anything wrong with hamburger helper? No, because, you know, I kind of like hamburger helper. But, you know, there's a huge difference between hamburger helper and a five-star restaurant. Uh, I've never been to a five-star restaurant, so I'm assuming I've been to a (laughs) four-star. But anyway, we know that there's a big difference, right? And he's saying, guys, you're going after hamburger helper. God offers that five-star restaurant. And that's why Jesus says in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. You're going to chase after all of these other things, I guarantee you. You're still going to be thirsty. You're still going to be hungry. Those desires are not going to be met. They're only going to be met temporarily. But what does Jesus say? He said, whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And he says, seek the Lord 
while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. This is like an RSVP. You know, he's saying, seek the Lord. He's giving you this RSVP. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to say on your Evite, no, I can't make it, or I'm in. And see, the choice is ours on what we're going to do with his invitation when he tells us to come. And he tells us several times that we need to come to him. And then he goes on to say, let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will, um, excuse me, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. Because in our minds, people who are wicked and unrighteous, what should happen to them? They should be punished. They should be part. Those who are wicked, you know, those who are unrighteous, they deserve to be punished. You know, this one guy who killed, you know, 10 people deserves to be punished. But then we come to this famous verse. And he continues by saying, however, for my thoughts, now this is, are not your thoughts, neither my ways, your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher and, uh, than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You guys think that the wicked and unrighteous should be punished. However, for, for me, what does God think? God thinks he should extend mercy, pardon, and forgiveness. So what he's saying is, Guys, your natural thoughts are very different than God's thoughts. You know, the way you think about certain things, you know, is very different than the way God thinks about certain things. And a lot of us rush, including myself, because I think I know what's best for me. I, I, I think and I believe that I know what the best activities are for me to be involved with, the best activities Michael should be involved with. And looking back, it's, it's like, oh, my gosh, I guess we did push him into a lot of things that, you know, maybe he didn't like to do or didn't want to do. But what did we do? We said, oh, we're your parents. You know, we know better. And now that we're finding out, he goes, Dad, I really didn't like to do that, you know. <laughs> Um, but that was my thinking. That was my thinking. And there's a huge gap between what I think and what God thinks. And part of my hurriedness and rush when it had to do to his schedule, my schedule, or family schedule, you know, or whatever I was involved with, happened to, because I thought I knew best. And what God is saying here that Dave... When you were planning out all of these things, you were rushed because my thoughts weren't the same as God's thoughts. That God had a better plan for me. God had a better plan for my son. Now, did he learn from those things? Yes. Is he emotionally scarred for life? I hope not. (laughs) You know, um, you know, I, I kid. I, you know, I think he's turned out to be, you know, we love him, a, a good kid. But um, it, it, it just shows that, you know, when we try to do things our way and we leave God out of the picture, I, I would say there's a 100% chance that what you're planning isn't what God wants. 
because our thoughts aren't his thoughts. But then he goes on and he says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for um, the eater. And so he uses an example from the water cycle here where you have participation and water comes down in form of rain. Then you have evaporation and then you have condensation when the water vapor turns into a solid and boom, comes back to earth all the time. But he's saying the water comes down from the clouds and returns via evaporation, but not before it has a chance to water this earth and to help the wheat grow so that we could have something to eat. You know, we are always and will always be at the center of God's heart and mind. And then he goes on to say, use this analogy with, you know, scripture, and he goes, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You know, God now compares the water cycle to the analogy of the power of his word, where God speaks through us, through his word, which gives us life, where his word comes down from heaven, but it does not return to him void. You know, it does its work while it's here. And this is why the, reading the Bible is just so important. It really is. Because if we're not into our Bible, if we are not reading our Bible, we're not being nourished. We're not getting this living water. We're not getting, you know, the bread where we will not get hunger. We'll never be hungry. And taking time to spend with God in his word, it forces us to take our foot off the gas pedal. I don't know about you, but whenever I spend time with the word, all of a sudden, you know, this whole rush and everything, the pressure just goes down. Why? Because I'm in the presence of God. I'm reading his word. And the Bible says that word is not going to come back to him void. That it's going to fulfill its purpose. And so when I sit in the word, you know, when it fulfills its purpose to me, it's like, Dave, slow down. Slow down. Slow down. And it reminds me that God is the one doing the work. That I need to come to God, not God to me, you know. God is the one doing the work. He's the one picking up the tab. It's not me. I'm not the one who has to earn enough money to be able to buy the abundant life. God's doing the cooking. God's doing the cooking. And he's giving us that abundant fare, not us. And so when I am in the word and spend time with God, my focus changes from me to him. My ideas, you know, change from what I think is best to God, what do you think is the best? Because, you know, when I think about it, it's the ultimate arrogance (laughs) and foolishness on my part to think I know what's best for me. You know, when I have an all-powerful, omniscient God who loves me and wants the best for me, and I ignore him because I think I know better. But when I sit in God's word, 
And then I spend time with them. It refocuses to say, God, you're God. Your ways, your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are higher than my ways. Your way is better than me, my way. And the reason I'm so rushed all the time is because I trust in my um, thinking, my decision-making, and not God's. And so I hope that you would join with me on this journey as I still learn what it means to be take my foot off that gas pedal. And I am a recovering Russiaholic, you know, too. And so... You know, if you're struggling with that, I hope that you would find comfort knowing that, you know, there is a God who loves you and that there is a God that says, you know what, I know what rush is doing to you, being in a hurry is doing to you. I know what it's doing to your relationships around you. But you know what? I have the abundant life for you and for the people around you. So what's a weekly challenge? The weekly challenge is to read and meditate Oh, I know, it's hard to see. Read, oh, what's the hurry? <laughs> oh, there we go. Uh, yeah, I was so hurried, right? I said, oh, well, come on, we've got to get that thing up. Why am I in a hurry? Um, read and meditate on Isaiah 55. As, and it says, where do you see yourself, ask yourself this, where do you see yourself spending time or monies in ways that do not lead, that have not led to satisfaction, but rather to a greater hunger or thirst. You know, that's a danger too, that a lot of times the thing we go after instead of satisfies our hunger and thirst, it's like having salt, eating salt. It just intensifies it. And it says, where do you feel rushed, unfulfilled, anxious, or emotionally tired right now? Do an inventory on your feelings. What are you guys feeling right now? Um, then take time to honestly let God know how you feel. This is when your time, hey, God, he knows how you're feeling anyway. Let him know. God, you know, I'm tired right now. You know, I'm fearful or, you know, I'm unfulfilled. And then what does God's personal invitation to come to him, to listen to him, to buy, knowing that he picked up the tab, or to eat? He's doing the cooking. What does that look like for you? Or are you the one doing all of those things? Let's pray.